Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you as always by Softleet. Today, we are joined by Stu Smith, U.S. Naval Academy graduate, handsome Navy SEAL with excellent Navy SEAL hair, tactical athlete, and uh, I would say fitness and uh, tactical, tactical fitness expert. Bungled that up at the end. But join us as we talk about tactical fitness and training for the world of special operations. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Die Living Podcast. Hi, we have Stu Smith on. Today, uh, I have known him since 1996 when you were, I don't actually wow. even, I don't even know what you were doing in 96. Yeah, I was, I was a company officer or at the, uh, Naval Academy. That's when I, then that's when I met yeah. you, you were running yeah. the, I, you were doing some sort of mentorship and PT program for the United States Naval Academy summer seminar. Yes. And I was, I think about five foot two and maybe a hundred pounds. And I showed up wanting to be a Marine and you, after like a week pulled me aside and told me that if I was going to go for limited billets, I should at least try to be a seal. And <laughs> that has stuck with me my entire adult life because even as a green beret, I oftentimes sit in my bathtub and cry about the fact that I was not a seal. <laughs> 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 be honest with you i don't even remember that conversation doug um, may be the only special forces guy that's on the seal poser registry <laughs> I, I, I can't remember i can't remember how that was brought up i, I do remember talking to somebody about marine corps you know, want to be a marine i said you know if you want to be in because i remember don't know if you brought up special ops in the marines I did right. not. I wasn't even aware that it existed. I right. knew so, that I wanted I, I a sword and I wanted yeah. to get laid by hotter women than I were currently talking to me. And I thought yeah. the Marine Corps was the way to do that. <laughs> well, the Marine Corps uniform is a way to do that. <laughs> at 17. Yeah, at 17, I mean, what did I know about anything? It was like, I got invited to this thing. I was, you know, pursuing a nomination at the Naval Academy and, um, you guys put on an excellent program. But I mean, in 96, you know, this was pre CrossFit. This was pre, I mean, I know that HIT existed as an exercise theory, like high intensity interval training. Sure. But the idea that you as a Navy SEAL were bringing this like secret fitness regimen <laughs> to a bunch of 17 year olds, like we really, I mean, I know like I was not alone in enjoying what you had mentored. A bunch of midshipmen to do to us and then you know fast forward a decade and you've written books on tactile fitness and like how seals work out etc um which i think has been very well received uh you are what i would view to be the individual subject matter expert on quote unquote tactical fitness so it's really awesome that we've gotten a chance to work with you uh how did you like i mean how did you find your way from a company grade officer at the naval academy to doing what you're doing now oh man great question um you know what i went to the naval academy remember this was the 90s so this was before 9 11 clinton and, soldiers uh, yeah, clinton I, sailors I, went, I guess <laughs> i went back to the naval academy as an instructor after a, a tour at uh in the in the seal um sdvs i, I used to drive the mini subs and uh to be honest with you i was i was kind of burned out you know and I'd, I'd gotten married um you know i was gone 18 months my first um i guess 18 months um my first uh during during my engagement i was gone 18 months out of two years and then my um my marriage, I was gone about 18 months out of two years. So it was just it was a busy time. Are you, are you guys um, still married? Yeah, we're still married. Congratulations. Yeah, so since uh, <laughs> 94. So I got married in 94. So anyway, just, just busy. I was kind of burned out and I was like, you know what? This opportunity came up and uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the academy and see if I uh, miss the teams. And um, 
you know, at the time I, as a midshipman, I hated the academy. I mean, I was really not a good student there. I mean, I got my ass kicked academically. I got in trouble all the time with typically underage drinking and partying and just being stupid teenager. Um, uh, so I didn't really like it there, but I had to suck it up and finish because that was just what you did. And uh, and then when I got out, I remember thinking, you know, I really don't think I learned a whole lot while I was there. And then I got to Buds and I and then all of a sudden I realized, holy shit, I learned a lot. <laughs> you know, when I started, you know, being under stress and, you know, working with boat crews and, you know, you know guys in my Buds class. And I started having a newfound appreciation for you know, the program at the academy. And I said, you know, if I ever get a chance to go back, I will. And then I went back as a, basically just a test to see if I missed the the teams. And I really didn't. I, I enjoyed coaching. I enjoyed mentoring. Um, and um, I would have stayed there for forever if I could. And uh, I'm still there, actually. I still coach and mentor. I you know, ran into, I ran a bunch of backside stuff for an Intel organization a few years ago. And some of the people that were part of that organization had been at the Naval Academy recently. Every single one of them remembers you. All the females huh. like stopped and started to breathe heavily. When, when I mentioned <laughs> Stu Smith, they were like, oh my God, Stu Smith is so hot. And I was like, oh, he's got to be old now. Like, I like, good for you. It's <laughs> yeah, man. I just I just turned fifty. Congratulations, man! Uh, yeah, thank don't you. don't look uh, it right. Thank you. I'm trying not to, but uh, anyway. So I I, I just found uh, something that became a passion, and I didn't really think that it would become a part of a business uh, in any way. It wasn't really that the plan. And then, you know, like all seals, were great writers. Um, you can, you can find excellent ghost writers. Your <laughs> skill is in networking. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, I actually am a writer. I grew up with a English teacher for a mother and a journalist for a father. So I, I always had two sets of eyes on every paper that I turned in when I was growing up in high school. I learned how to write, learned how to, you know, proper grammar and all that. And, um, <clears throat> so I, I was just good at it. And so I was like, well, what do I write about? And my plan wasn't to write about seal stuff. I wanted to write about um, just fitness in general. And then, uh, and that's what I eventually evolved into. I did write a, a Navy SEAL fitness book, but then after that, it, I realized that there's a lot more out there in this military law enforcement and firefighter field that I started, you know, training a lot of people in locally. And then I just started whatever I did, I wrote down and I had this huge database of workouts and I started creating generic programs for, you know, the guy that needs to make through the FBI fitness test or the guy that makes it through this fitness test, you know. And so I just came up with these specific training programs for whatever goal you have. And, you know, the Internet was evolving. I think I was able to you know, put some downloadables up by 2003 and people were download them and completely changed the way I do business. I, you know, I still have a publisher that publishes books for me, but you know, I, 85% of my business is downloadable products, you know, and, um, we know so, all about that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a good, good part of business. Um, and, um, you know, so I just, I just try to help, help guys, you know, get, through the three phases of tactical fitness. And this is something we can talk about a little bit too, if you want, where, you know, you got to get to the training by passing a fitness test and you got to get through the training by a boot camp at an academy or a selection program. And then, then your active duty. Now, what do you do? Um, you know, how do you mitigate stress and how do you, you know, create programming that you, you know, can have some longevity in your career without getting, you know, completely wasted mentally and physically. So donuts and excuses. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you should not ask Green Berets how they managed to to nurse along a healthy career for twenty years because literally from the moment they get their long tab, it's a downward slope. There's like five percent that's like, ah oh, man, I'm gonna stay in shape and the rest of everybody else is like, show me to the defect four times a day. And uh <laughs> Do we have midnight chow? Yeah, there's midnight chow here. This is the best rotation of all time. Oh yeah, you can't beat mid rats. <laughs> 
So I I actually think that's a really good thing to bring up. I think that um what we saw in that that silly thread that you and I were like, we were like championing freedom. They're like, hey man, guys are like, oh, this is a neckbeard thing, you know? Like this is like you can just make anything tactical and it's cooler. And I'm like, look, like First there's off, that is cool. That's cr- true. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I I think it's funny. I had a tactical baby carrier. That's right. I did as well. Tactical, tactical toothbrush. People can't see it right now, but Doug's tactical. shirt's actually covered in Molly webbing. Yeah. This is how he I can put pouches wherever he wants. This is what something I <laughs> I learned from Navy SEALs that if you carry more grenades on your body, the more grenades you carry, the higher your likelihood of mission success is. Yeah. Fair well, enough. Hold on. I want to back up before we get to this real quick, give people context of what we're talking about. Yeah. So um, with this with this article, the reason this podcast came about, right? Oh, God. So <laughs> the, the super short version is that we, we wrote an article a long time ago. Four years ago. Yeah. Way back. I mean, it was probably the... The second or third blog post that was ever published on Softleet's website, and I will out Brent as the author. Sure, yep. yeah, for sure. And uh, <laughs> you know the the name of the article or the you know was basically like everything you know about tactical tactical fitness is wrong. We apparently had that up in some type of Facebook traffic ad that went haywire uh, last week. We we only allocated fifty some odd thousand dollars to promoting this article that which is what like. 300 times larger than our, our normal allocated budget? Uh, I mean... Multiple we, thousands. We, <laughs> we, we did not allocate that much money to it. Uh, there was a I, glitch in the matrix. Yeah, I, I started I started noticing a lot of Facebook charges coming through during the day and went over to Brent and was like, man, you guys are really burning it down on ads today, huh? <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? And, uh yeah, that led to the... I had no idea that this was going on. All I knew was that our Facebook page suddenly was being inundated with thousands of comments from people who had the general IQ of a warm glass of water. Well, what happened was, I mean, this article within six hours, you know, was seen by 1.6 million people on Facebook. So Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was... Wow. Uh, yeah, Facebook, Facebook accidentally spent almost $5,000 <laughs> right. promoting this ad. So wow. this this article, yeah, we, that's uh, how we got dragged into it, Stu. <laughs> that is hilarious. And so that caught the attention of a much wider audience than would probably normally see anything that we would post online, uh, including a, a lot of people that were accusing us of being phonies and charlatans. Well, Doug, so. one person was accusing us of being phonies because of a photograph that we had that was public image you know it's on the, the it's department, off david's man david the department of defense yeah. you know image service and the photograph like totally coincidentally was of doug on a freaking atv <laughs> <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah and there he's like see look they're just pulling pulling videos of, or images of divids and using them and doug gets on there and says that's me like yeah. i'm sitting on the back <laughs> nice. um so yes it is a public domain image but fuck you yeah it was good though. I mean, like it was funny, and there's a lot of engagement. I just thought it was funny that one of the things that they brought up was, you know, anything's better with tactical on it. And as someone who is in the tactical industry, like for tactical fitness, it's become really ingrained in me that fitness, like almost everything that we know about fitness outside of the military, is almost it's very sport specific. You know, we oh, were looking. Absolutely at injury rates yesterday and seeing that like the lowest rate of injury amongst anyone who trains is, is bodybuilders. And then, you know, it's like, I guess we rate injuries as how many hours, it, how many injuries per 1000 hours. Right. And bodybuilding is like one per 1000 hours. You get into powerlifting and like CrossFit and it's two to four and which is still very low compared to like basketball, soccer, like oh, sure. where the you know knee injuries and things plague people. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny that these, they, a lot of people reading are like, there's no difference between tactical fitness and regular fitness. Yeah, and, I know. And I, I think we've done a really good job between like what you started and what we've carried on at Softleet in defining tactical fitness as a a training methodology for generalists that have to be good. Well, we have to be proficient at everything, possibly yes. not good at anything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be great at anything. Just be good at everything. Well, to say that tactical fitness isn't real is, is basically saying that sports specific fitness isn't real. You know, 
Of course, that's not true. But you know, you're just they're just trying to get a rise out of you, Doug, and they succeeded. Well, I think that if it was that simple, I would buy it. But I think that that there is a general ignorance in the population where there's this reactionary attitude towards the brovet tactical sure. marketing of things. And so people see tactical fitness and they're like, no, nah, that's stupid. Like I can go to a boot camp and you're like, but not really. I think at your point about like, Hey, when, when I wanted to join the military, I followed, uh, the program written by, um, major Martin. What was his first name? Joe Martin. The yeah, yeah. How, oh, to yeah. get how to get selected, how to get selected book. And I actually yep, met yep, yep. Joe Martin. He's a really great guy. Uh, I laugh in retrospect now, knowing what I know about what he wrote to get ready. Ruck a lot. Yeah. I mean, and ruck and run a lot. I mean, to yeah. his credit, uh, it did help me prepare for like basic training. Um, I kind of look back and I think about how basic is structured where they kind of break guys down. They spend a lot of time running a lot of time doing the basics of what's necessary for the PT test. And I mean, a lot of guys who are very in shape when they came to basic training lose fitness. Oh, absolutely. During basic to poor diet, absolutely. poor yep. sleep, <laughs> you know, like high mileage. Um, and then so like whatever what it takes to get good or, or to be proficient enough to go through ba the basics of training is very different than what it takes to be good for selection. And in the army, we've, you know, developed this special operations preparatory course that Brian and I both went to, um, that has morphed a lot over the years. <laughs> it was a haze fest when Brian went through slightly less of a haze fest. When I went through, there was a lot, I mean, that, that was 2004. So that was early CrossFit time. So there was yep. a lot of hit incorporated by our instructors, um, out of out of pure sadism. <laughs> yes, we four workouts a day. Also, we're going to haze you a lot. Um, it was good. I mean, I think we were ready for whatever selection brought. So I think when we got to selection, um, selection seemed kind of like a down event. I wasn't. Right. It wasn't. It was, there was a lot of pressure to succeed because this is the one thing we had focused on. But I think that psychologically, we had spent well over a year preparing for this event selection uh, or in you know y'all's case it would be like a you know hell week or whatever it is and then yep. when when it's over what's next is the hardest hitting part because you've only prepared to perform for 21 24 days and once you've succeeded in that everything that comes after that is kind of like a big question mark well it in my mind in you know I've never been to the navy boot camp or whatever, but army basic training or specifically OSID, the infantry training, you know, they, they take you off the street and they teach you how to do almost everything you need to do, know tactically to go to a unit and deploy quickly. You know, that was their goal. So you're, you know, you can maintain your weapon, you can shoot, you can move, probably can't communicate, but that's not going to be your job as, a, as your Bravo left rifleman to do that. Um, but you learn how to, you know, basic squadron or squad maneuvers squad, and squad platoon, attack one alpha, you know, and platoon tactics. So you're not totally lost in the sauce, but 0% of that is taught teaching you how to train your body from a fitness standpoint. You know, there's no modules of like, all right, and here's the basics of workout programming, or here's like an event and here's how you train for the specificity of that event. And there's sort of an overarching philosophy in the military that, you know, if the military wanted me to have it, they would have issued it to me. And so there's a huge amount of people, even in special operations, that the things that they sh were shown how to do in basic training, run, ruck, basic calisthenics, that's what they do for the rest of their career because that's, well, if, if it was good enough for me in basic, it's good enough for me now. There's definitely a subset in the military world at large and especially in special operations that has since learned that's not necessarily the case, but it tends to be in these very limited use scenarios like selection prep where guys learn, oh, okay, I'm working out differently than I've ever worked out before. I'm doing this high intensity interval training. I'm doing tempo runs and I'm doing sprint work and I'm doing all this different stuff that I've never done before, but that was specifically to get selected. Like you say, now that I'm selected, what next? And a lot of guys just go back to five mile run. Or they go back to what they're comfortable with doing. You know, some yeah. guys are meatheads and they'll go back and lift 
and getting really bad out of shape with running or, you know, they're runners and they'll just run and PT. That's, you know, it's, it, there is no curriculum. And I think that's where I think all services kind of screw up with, you know, kind of teaching the, the boot camp mentality and people running with it for the rest of their career, not really balancing all the other elements of fitness that are important, like strength and power and speed and agility and flexibility and mobility. And for a lot of people in the military, you know, I saw when the, the Thor three program started getting instituted across the, the, the regiment and special forces, there was an enormous amount of pushback because the workout seemed easy. You know, guys would come in, they would do a good workout, they'd do uh, a programmable stuff that was well within the envelope of their ability to perform. They would do a, a, a hard Metcon and then some mobility work at the end, and they would get done an hour and a half later and they'd feel good and it felt wrong. You know, right. they were used to a good quality workout is one where you drag your skull through the dirt and you feel totally broken for the rest of the day. But that broken feeling let you know that you gave 100% that morning. And that's how they judge like, oh, yeah, man, that guy, he freaking burned it down this morning. He's awesome. This is how my wife and I uh, evaluate our relationship status. If we feel like we've been dragged behind a truck, things, yeah. are, things are right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of pushback just due to ego. You know, and, and just like that's the normal thing is like, ooh, man, yeah, we really did crazy stuff last this morning. We did a 18-mile road march with 85-pound packs. And I'm like, dude, you guys just broke yourselves for yeah. a for no month. Reason. For a month. Yeah, for no reason. <laughs> You're now tactically ineffective. Your training is totally broken for a month. What did you accomplish except to like pat yourselves on the back and say that we did this thing? Like there's this time and a place for gut checks for sure. Absolutely. But Absolutely. like – it doesn't have to be Monday through Friday, seven six a.m. every every day. I I mean I think that I think it's interesting that you coming from an SDV team led you to talking about fitness, um, just because I think that pre nine eleven SDV teams were like the place that seals who couldn't like fin well ended up right. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, I tell you what, man, we became really good at combat diving. I mean, because yeah, yeah, you get in with a with a mini sub, but th- there's still some swimming involved. But you're underwater, and those limpet mines the they don't place themselves, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's it was a great skill, and now I tell you what, STVs are the place to be. I mean, guys want to go to buds, finish buds, and their first tour, they want to try to get to STVs because. Right now, they're doing some really cool stuff. Well, and they're the, I, it's actually a totally different subject, but worth yes. talking about in the sense of I know that over 17 years of a GWAT, we have lost many of our core competencies across the special operations realm. Absolutely. Um, our S, I mean, our SDVs, an exception in that. I know that within the Army, we have a lot of antiquated diving equipment. And that's like one of the topics of conversation is that commercial off-the-shelf solutions are way better than what our programs of record are. Uh, do you? Is it the same? You mean well, you I might get this, behind you know, if you spend th- twenty years in the desert? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to be a little behind the eight ball. But I, I do think the uh, spec war or Navy spec war is really starting to focus back on the old school mission again and being wet. You know, for half your mission. That's good. Uh, and, is definitely um, part of the the programming, especially now. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on South America, Africa. You know, I don't have to tell you guys. You yeah. guys know. And um, don't worry, I'm just busy eating goat with all the people that you guys get to kill. So <laughs> it's you know, it's not important. <laughs> These are my friends. Don't worry, my other my Navy SEAL friends will be here to take you out soon, gentlemen. But welcome to the green. Along the lines that you were bringing it up, I mean, there was actually discussion. I don't, you know, discussion and implementation of those ideas are two different things, but there was discussion on taking out dive phase of BUDS and making it an extended land warfare phase at one point. You know, whenever... uh, This room got so uh, full of eye rolls. (laughs) (laughs) In the middle middle of, uh, you know, global war on terror. Welcome to the Green Berets, men. Your primary mission is to 
write and plan missions for the Navy SEALs. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> this intel packet will surely get us a mission. Who's getting it? No. That sucks. <laughs> it's true, man. I remember when we were in Iraq in 11 and there was hardly anything going on and we were shutting down all the bases. There was a bunch of SEALs that were co-located with us with Task Force. And every time something seemingly cool would happen, they would go sit out on the flight line on helicopters with the rotors spinning for like three hours. And I'd drive by in my little Hyundai accent, you know, with a bunch of like stuff in the back <laughs> for for a for a less you know, a less high profile mission. I'm just driving around in civilian clothes and I'd be like, man, it would be cool to be one of those guys. I mean, I'd drive back by two hours <laughs> later and I'd be like, nope, they're, they're still nope. sitting there just waiting yeah, for something that, to happen. That hurry up and wait is not fun. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm curious as to how you guys, I know that like you've had a lot of influence at the Naval Academy as far as influencing the way uh, physical fitness is viewed from um, from a naval officer standpoint because you don't discriminate against who's going to what branch or you know what service. You're training all Naval Academy midshipmen, right? Well, when I say I, um, I don't personally. I mean, I, I I'm a coach of a of a spec ops club. Okay. So it's, it is just a club of uh, midshipmen that all want to do some form of spec ops. And we have Marines, we have, you know, Marine candidates, we have EOD candidates and seal candidates. Okay. So, and you, you, um, but you used to run the whole program, right? I used to run. Yes. I many used to run years that ago. program. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, many years ago, but it was just, it was just the seal side. But then I also would, that was my primary job, but then the, um, you know, admissions would pull me out and have, you know, PT with all the high school recruits and, yep. you know, get them all fired up. And, you know, I, 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 I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed being someone's first exposure to military PT and I still do it. I'm still doing summer seminar in the summers. This, I've just did like my 23rd year of summer seminar workouts. I would, I would be impressed to know how many other like, wistful teenagers like have a memory of <laughs> Stu Smith in their mind. But just so you know, Brian, Stu Smith is essentially the Will Summers of naval special operations candidates. Like Will is that Will is one of our instructors that everybody remembers. And every every time I bring you up, people are like, oh Stu, yeah, I, I know that guy. Wow. He <laughs> he can run really fast. I, yes. Also, I'm not sure any of us could run that fast back then. I, so, Will I, used, Summers. To, I used to. I will say I have slowed quite a bit in the, my 40s. And are, you still, are you still doing uh, like long distance stuff uh, competitively? Not or? a whole lot. I would say, you know, I, I peak through the summer. So like right now we are in that you know, winter lifting phase. So our workouts are shorter. You know, when you leave them, you don't feel like you're, you know, you've been drugged through the dirt. Like we mentioned earlier, it's it's one of those things that it's a hard transition to go from, you know, summer and fall into this uh, winter lift cycle to where there's actually rest periods, you know, in between lifts, you know, when, and we're just kind of bored, you know, we're not sweating. And, you know, so it's it's a weird moment, but we all feel great and we need it because we just ran our ass off from early spring all the way to summer. And when I say run our ass off, we progress each month with, with progression. And we probably get up to about maybe 30, 35 miles a week up in the peak of the summer. So the that's longest is not of, insignificant. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, unfortunately we have guys that are running 60, 70 that I, you know, that are cross country guys. I'm like, Hey, you guys need to not run and get your ass in the weight room. So we're doing running workouts with all my guys that are, you know, 200 pounds plus that need to run and progress into that. And then I got all my skinny guys in the weight room um, because, you know, last thing they need to do is, you know, get good at running. <laughs> how are you keeping how are you keeping them balanced? You know, I mean, I think that's the 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 pitfall for us across the board is that everyone wants to do what they're good at. Like what you're oh, absolutely. saying, right? Absolutely. And yep. at a certain point, you become a one-trick pony that isn't useful within the domain at all. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I had a team leader who finished second place at the best ranger challenge. Uh, I mean, what a best ranger competition. He's 
he is a, an absolute animal running, biking, swimming. He's a very competitive national triathlete. And yep. the guy I don't think can pick up his own body weight off the floor. And, you know, like while it is impressive that he is an endurance athlete, he is basically useless in most practical tasks. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah. well, don't ask him to do anything. Well, and so it's sort of paradoxical, right? It requires a hyper competitive mindset to get get into special operations. Yes. And it requires a hyper competitive mindset to excel in special operations. But generally a hyper competitive mindset it favors hyper specialization rather than generalism. And so guys are like, man, if I only train a little bit more on running, I'll be the fastest guy in the platoon. Or if I only lift a little right. bit more, I'll be the strongest guy in the platoon. Whereas the best guy in the platoon is the dude that's running towards the front of the pack and lifting almost as much weight, you know, but he does never get to put on that gold medal. So, you know, it's, it's like counterintuitive for those guys in their, in their philosophies. How are you, how are you coaching people into that place, Stu? <laughs> that's a great question because I, I, what I do is I say, look, here – when, when, let's say that cross country kid comes into to me. He's 18 years old, 135 pounds, cross country runner, runs a five minute mile with doesn't even breathe hard, right? And can do it for almost a marathon, right? That's that's your typical, you know, long distance endurance guy, right? And uh, so I I list for him his strengths and weaknesses. All right, so you got endurance nailed down. Running's going to be easy for you. In fact, I would recommend just slowing your running down to about, you know, <laughs> 12 miles a week max. I'm sure that that depresses him, right? Like, that's Oh, like he, he just looks <laughs> at me like, are you crazy? That's like telling a lifter not to lift, right? Which I do that too. You know, I have 280-pound guys that just finished, you know, collegiate football who are coming in and want to be SEALs. They got to, they're going to lose about 75, 80 pounds, right? So the last thing I'm going to have them doing is heavy, crazy lifts. Um, but anyway, that, that's a different story. Cry, cries so, and I, meathead. Right, so <laughs> like, oh. I'll have, I'll have uh, this guy. So I list the statistics of height and weights that are, you know, uh, if you take a look at height and weights of Bud's graduates, right? You're going to have a little bell curve, Right. You got to have a little bell curve of guys in, in this zone, which are you're about your 140s, and you got this zone, which are about 240, right? Very little, very few graduates occur at those levels. My, However, my everybody in say anybody over 200 is going to have one hell of a struggle. Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was like right there at it, 195. Perfect weight for me. It was enabled me to be fast, but you know, I was still able to be strong too. So as a powerlifting football player going into an endurance athlete um, mindset that it worked out real well for me. I didn't do a lot of lifting prior to buds and I just had to turn into the guy that didn't think long distance running was anything over 100 yards. <laughs> right. That, that was my transition. But right. And I had to, <laughs> had to do that. Right. And, uh, I did that. I was lucky. I was able to, to do that. It took a while to tr make that transition, but I, I just do the opposite transition with guys that are having the opposite weaknesses. So I, I take that height and weight and say, look, you need to put on 10 or 15 pounds. You were too skinny. You're going to get crushed under logs and under boats. Um, you know, your upper body PT can't pass a push up and a pull up test. Um, you know, so all the, I show all these weaknesses and then I also say, look, here's this, here's the elements of fitness you need to focus on. Everybody does, you know, muscle, muscle, stamina, and endurance. You're, you're good with the endurance side, strength and power. You're not flexibility, mobility depends. Give him a little test to see where he is. Most of those guys aren't very flexible also. And then, uh, speed and agility. And so once I show them, I say, look, you know, just because you're a great runner doesn't mean anything. And now I got to teach you how to swim too, on top of that. So we're going to lift, you're going to lift while we're going to go run. And then we're all going to swim together at the end. So that, that is kind of how I structure it. And it kind of depends on everybody's weaknesses, you know, in those elements of fitness and, you know, depending on their physiology of, you know, height and weight and all of that. Uh, and their ability to swim. So for a swimmer, 
I may definitely be a little easier on them on the running side because gravity for a swimmer just breaks them, right? I don't know how many swimmers you've seen that all get stress fractures, shin splints, knee tendonitis, you know, they're plantar really, fasciitis. They're really good in the pool. <laughs> Great in the pool. Great in the pool. And we get a lot of them at Bud's, but you put on a pair of boots on them and tell them to run and then they fall, start falling apart. So it's, uh, you know, something that, you know, I'm really big on preparation and I, I think people need to realize that, you know, you can't just show up to your recruiter and say, Hey, I want to be an SF guy. Hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And having never done anything like that before, you know, during your, your progression, you I mean, should, there is a caveat to that, Stu. If you're an obstinate asshole like Brian or I, then you do show up to your recruiter and your narcissism is enough to drive you to success. <laughs> I had a deep well there. <laughs> You know what? It does take a mindset too. You know, there, there is an element to all of this that is a mindset. And I have seen people make it through various special ops selection programs that physiologically should not have made it. You know, they just willed themselves every single day. But those guys are as rare as the 240 pound graduate well, I think finishing and the 130 pound graduate finishing. It, it's funny, right? Because. You talk about yourself as like a 195 pound power athlete that showed up to buds. Like you're at very, you're very far into one end of the bell curve on who got through buds. Um, same with like an SF selection. I mean, I went through SF selection at what five nine, 130 pounds maybe. I mean, wow. Yeah, no. I mean, I was a little guy, man, and like he was so adorable. Was the, like fun size dog. The medic at selection, like he, I took my shirt off to get a, a health check at like day twenty one or something, and he was like, "You better pray to the god of skinny faggots. The stiff wind doesn't pick up and blow you into the next state." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, Roger that, Sarn." <laughs> you know, like. Like I graduated. I was so proud of myself. I was walking with the, my bird chest out as big as it could get as I walked into the auditorium and, uh, Sergeant Major Cinco, Bobby Cinco goes, I got two words for you, champ steroids. And, (laughs) and I was like, Hey, Roger that Sergeant Major. And, um, you know, it's funny though, because like, I'm not alone. I look at a lot of guys that have had long careers in SF and like, we all, a lot of us started at one end or the other of the bell curve and moved back towards the middle. And right. um, guys all think that seals are all six foot tall, 240 pound dudes. And, you know, same with SF guys. And I think that that body transition happens during the career phase where, yes. you know, once we've gotten through selection, once we've gotten through training and the demands aren't high mileage, uh, you know, speed and endurance focused teamwork things, suddenly it becomes valuable to be a strong workhorse and being able to transition into that in your training from, you know, a selection mindset is, is very important. So a lot of guys that are already six feet tall and 240 think they have what it takes to become a seal or a green beret. And they're like, you know, they don't understand that they're about to get their dick hammered. Yeah. The last yeah. thing any kid that's wants to be a green beret or a seal needs to meet is like a, a bunch of direct action gorillas. <laughs> you know, oh, oh yeah. They look just like me. I'm a linebacker and these guys look like linebackers. I want to be like, like you. Well, bro, you have a lot of muscle to fuel right now. Yeah, man. I, one of I went through a portion of the special operations medical course with some SEALs, one of whom I still value as one of the greatest humans I know alive. Um, I don't I think he's out now. I'm going to just say his name. You know, do you know Johnny Peppis? No. No, he's no. he was in the he was like a surface warfare guy for forever. I, I believe he went to Bud's four times. He's a is an older selection candidate, but I mean. I thought Johnny was like, I mean, he was a big, he was a big dude by our standards. He was about 210 pounds or something when we were in the medic course. And he would always say, he's like, yeah, man, every time I went back, it was like another struggle with, uh, with all the runs. He's like the decreasing beach runs were just my nemesis. And it's funny. I used to, I would go running with him and I was 140 pound Doug and I was spry and fast and we would start off and I'd be like, yeah, man, okay. I can't run this slow. 
I'm going to check you later. And I'd go off like a deer, like hanging out. Like, here we go. I'm having a great time, breathing easy. And I would just feel a presence behind me. (laughs) You know, I'm like, what's going on? I feel super weird. And I'd take my headphone out and I would just hear this. (gasps) And this like freight train would come past me. Like, I'm, I'm like five miles in and this dude with a weight vest on. And like, I'm like, whoa, where did he come from? Oh, I was just... I, and like we'd get done the run, and he'd be like, eh, "I couldn't stand watching your feet, man." He's like, "You'd leave me, and I'd just pick it up." And I'm like, "You weigh like a lot." He's like, "I'm pretty sure that this is the only thing that got me through buds." <laughs> and I'm like, "No doubt, man." But like, he's an exception, obviously. You know, like he was one of the toughest mental guys, one of the most like gentle-hearted guys I've ever met, and I'm pretty sure that you know he made up his mind the first time he went to buds that he wasn't going to be told no. And his entire Navy career was geared towards becoming a Navy SEAL and a good one. I mean, you know, he's a really good guy. But he, but his weight did not set himself no, up no, for no. success. No, he's a, he was an Adonis. He was a real fine figure of a man. <laughs> Just, it, didn't, <laughs> it didn't help him. Yeah, um, dude, man. Every, yeah, everybody with a pleasing physique that showed up to like the special operations preparatory course, I was like, nah, probably not going to do very well. We were all just skinny nerds or, or fat kids with a lot of with a lot of reserves to burn. Yeah. I mean, there's not, there was not a ton of Bobby Hanley's floating around. No. So. Well, I will tell you this, you know, you made a great point about uh, the career part of your fitness, you know, because you, you, you don't have to do all those long runs and long swims and long rucks anymore. You know, you don't have to be so focused on your, your high mileage endurance, you know, so you can get in the weight room and lift again. And that's where a lot of the guys do. Plus, you know, if they started off young, they're probably still growing. Right. And so they finish buds or, or SF training and, and now they put on 15, 20 pounds. It's all muscle. They're looking jacked. And then, you know, from a question that I get from, you know, young kids and a lot of my articles that I write, you know, come from people's questions. And then, you know, it, I can expand those to sometimes even, writing even more uh, programming or doing shows or, or actually writing a book like tactical fitness, because I think people screw it up. You know, they, they don't realize that, you know, that career level fitness, that maintenance phase, that uh, active duty phase, whatever you want to call it of the, you know, preparing, you know, the three phases, you're in phase three here and it's completely different than the first two phases. And, um, you know, like I said, that's, I kind of focus on the first two phases. I don't do a whole lot in phase three. Um, you know, I tend to focus on phase one and phase two, you know, getting a young kid, you know, who hasn't really worked out that much, getting them to pass a fitness test and then making them realize, Hey, it's more than a fitness test. You got to pass the, you know, the next phase, which is your academy or your selection or your boot camp or base training, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, which requires some specific training, once again, sports specific. And then that phase three of tactical fitness is your operational, you know, phase of training, which is everything. It is overall mental health, physical health, you know, ability, job specific sports skills, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, all come into play on that. And I definitely think it's more complicated phase uh, three is than phase one and two because there's just so much more you have to do and and you're getting older too you're going to be older longer than you are younger in phase three so there's some (laughs) so so there are there are extra things you have to be concerned with i think that there's a really good focus i here at softly um i mean we've really put a lot i mean we're getting we're all getting older (laughs) None of none of the guys here are getting younger. I actually think it's funny. I think Brent uh, is the youngest guy on the team. I mean, maybe I'm, I actually think that like the the primary founder, the guy who started the company with with Aaron, is. I mean, he's the youngest guy here, and he likes to talk about himself as old, and I, he's not thirty yet, you know. And I'm like, "Shut up, Brent! You are not, you are not old." Well, I feel old. Well, guess what? I'm almost forty, and I don't feel old, so fuck you. <laughs> and, but I think that we spend a lot of time focusing on on what recover, like good recovery looks like, and you know the importance of mobility and body maintenance for the purpose of of a long and healthy career. 
Um, I think that that's more often than not a holistic thing in the sense sure. that um, we all manage like the career path itself teaches us all how to handle stress well, at least on the surface. Yeah. But sure. I think that most of us bury that stress deep inside. So we're all seething balls of tension. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think the focus on recovery is is really more of like a recent phenomenon. You know, the early 2000s, like we're all falling apart, man. That's the thing, right? When you look at guys, I mean, you look at guys from the 90s, even dudes that weren't well, in s- combat, not even just for us. I'm saying just in general. Um, well, for be- sure. Right. Like, how do you sell? like if you're a fitness programmer or you're selling fitness product? There's the two major things that people want to see is either I got stronger or I lost weight. Like that's like the two key things. And those are immediate and you can see those things happen after well, two weeks. But durability, I didn't get injured. It's like you're trying to prove a sure. negative, right? But I mean, how yeah. lo- like how long was the trend of, you know, the whole that whole like crying's acceptable, puking's acceptable, like crawling's, you know. Well, I think where it's, the, that was again, the focus. You're, you're also talking of, about this market space is an interesting one in that because most people in fitness have a eight-week window or, or even less, right? Yeah, like, they're like, say, I'm going to get – I would say four weeks. Yeah, I'm going to get fit. And they spend 30 days on it, like changing their diet, going to the gym. They don't have to worry about durability because they are literally they're, – they're, they're spiking yeah. their activity, they're feeling tired, and they're quitting. <laughs> and we're talking about a 20-year – the tactical realm is a very interesting place to focus recovery talk because there's no there's no real exit door. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, guys guys might get med boarded or get pushed out of the service or they may retire early or, or whatever, but you're still talking about a very protracted focus on physical fitness professionally that most other places outside of professional athletics don't have. Well, and to go to your point, that there was a huge concentration on extremely difficult workouts mm-hmm. because for branding purposes, it built a lot of esprit de corps. Oh, for sure. I mean, misery, misery builds com- camaraderie. The military has been based on that for centuries. Yeah. And basically they took that and applied it to the civilian world. You've got CrossFit, you've got intensity or insanity or whatever, P90X, all these things that it's like, man, it was so hard and my friend did it and we can talk about it at the water cooler and like sure. now we're part of our own special club. And that was very absent in the fitness world until the mid 2000s. I yeah. mean, you know, people that lifted, people that worked out weren't doing it as groups. They were doing it as singletons. They would go to the gym. They would use Nautilus machines. They would lift and they would use a program that they had pulled out of men's fitness magazine or, or muscle, you know, bodybuilding magazines. And, you know, it kind of created this team, esprit de corps thing, but that was all based around like, I push myself further than I ever knew before. And see all the uh, obstacle course racing plays off that exact so same thing. I would argue that some of that, I feel like we're going to Going off on like a way tangent here. I but, love tangents. Um, <laughs> I think it's that a good some recovery tangent. Yeah, um, I I have a question I want to ask you, Stu, in a second. But yeah, I'm gonna slide this point in there first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that a lot of that, and maybe this is just coincidence, um, the timing of that with basically the global war on terror, I think, is very much tied to the kind of rise in in public perception or, uh, you know, basically uh, public presence of, like, special operations, right? Like, and the whole thing of all these Discovery Channel programs of, like, you know, two weeks in hell and, you know, kind of showing, like, all the the difficult selection events that guys are going through that we're now in the focus is, like, these are the dudes that we're sending to Afghanistan. You know, these are the guys doing these types of things. And that's when we also saw this huge rise in, like, obstacle course racing and, you know, kind of, like, how am I going to prove myself as... And hipster beards. Yes. Don't Forget hipster Don't forget beards. hipster beards. Um, well, but I mean these these things. It's all about like how all, ca- all of us but Stu are right. currently sporting hipster beards. <laughs> Mine hipster are beards. so gray. Stu is a my, professional. My whole, my whole face is gray. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. But uh, Stu, one of the things I wanted to ask you about before was how much is mindset involved in what you're teaching younger kids? You know, are you getting basically only kids that are already so committed to going down the the path of, you know what, I've been I've been living the last however many days or years of my life knowing that I want to be a Navy SEAL when I grow up, that that's not really an issue for you? Or is it, you know, hey, taking these young kids that have a lot of potential, but not only kind of like helping them training their bodies, but also, you know, focusing on the mindset aspect? 
Yeah, you know what? I, I tell people all the time, it's not my job to motivate you to serve your country. And uh, I kind of go with that philosophy with teaching teenagers, mm-hmm. right? So I have a workout program that starts 6 a.m., Monday through Saturday. And, you know, the motivated find me. So, you know, for, for that, I mean, just that one little 6 a.m. nugget right there of getting up, traveling maybe 30 minutes before you even get to me, you know, to be able to train with us. Um, you know, there is a moment of mental toughness that gets uh, built in mm-hmm. that little, you know, when you, when you're really comfortable laying in bed and you don't hit snooze and you get right up and go do something, you know, that, that is a moment where you are slowly building mental toughness. Step so I, I tell people, <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, it's, it's not necessarily one particular act that is going to help you with your mindset. It is you showing up, doing the right thing, showing up on, you know, on time, ready to go and, you know, building those habits, you know, because in the end, you know, you might be a motivated hard charger on day one, but by day hundred, you better be disciplined. Right. Because it, that motivation has to evolve into discipline and and they only gets evolved into discipline by you creating good habits and consistency. So I know I used a whole lot of buzzwords there, but, you know, it's I love really every second of it. It, it, it. it depends on all of that. So, I mean, you're dealing my, with my, a pretty like high end crew already. Like you have the barrier, the barrier to entry for a college kid of getting up at 6 a.m. to work out is high. Well, I mean, yes, but you're also thinking about the fact that like Stu is privileged enough to deal with kids like the high schoolers that come to see him or kids that are trying to court a Senate, a Senate recommendation to come to the Naval Academy. They're applying to what is essentially one of the, one of our, our federal bureaucracy created Ivy league schools. <laughs> I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a free Ivy league education in engineering with a good paying job on the other end guaranteed. Um, and then you think these guys are all competing. You know, how many, how many students are in a, a class at the Naval Academy? Um, Roughly a thousand. Okay, so I mean, there's a thousand students, and every year there's what two billets to go to the seals. No, no, it's it's increased significantly. Has there's it? about thirty five now. Oh wow. Okay. Well, that's yeah. not actually. Now, I will say this: um, it, it has only changed because of the new SOAS program, which stands for Seal Officer Assessment Selection, right? Where what they do it used to, in my day it was called Mini Buds, and they would just send you know Academy guys and ROTC you know, cadets or midshipmen, two buds for three weeks and you get beat up for three weeks and they say, Hey, come back. If you want to try again, <laughs> what they have done is they've actually made, instead of like a summer cruise, they have made it a selection course where you go there before your senior year, you go with OCS guys, you go with fleet guys, uh, ROTC guys and your own Academy classmates. And the best rise to the top. So some years Academy may have more billets. Some, some years they, they, they've never not had more billets, but (laughs) (laughs) right on (laughs) ring. But it doesn't matter. There's no set number. Like the Academy doesn't always get 35. You know, if the ROTC and OCS guys are, are a better crop, you know, they're going to get more billets than their typical, you know, 15 or 10 you know, that w- they would normally get, and that's nationwide. Um, but yeah, we typically get anywhere between 30 and 35 now. But um, I mean, that's, you're still talking about people who are willing to compete for like a three and a half percent or 3% slot or less than that, you know, I mean, of, of what is available for them. I mean, it's like one thing that struck me funny during the summer seminar is every single kid that was at that program wanted to be a pilot. Like yeah. it was a thousand questions from high school idiots that were all like, I have bad eyes, but I want to be a pilot. Is there a waiver for this? Will you guys fix my bad eyes? And you're like, man, I realize this is the most important thing to you right now, but that is the thousand yard target that you can't see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your eyes are too bad to see the target anyway. So why are you asking about it? And I think that like you get to deal with people who are pretty motivated anyway. 
Yeah, well, that's my academy guys. I'm talking about the 6 a.m. guys that I do out in town that are all, Got it. most of them are all delayed entry program kids. Okay. So I do the exact same program out in town. Um, I, it seems to me that like, at least from my experience as well, as far as training guys and, and coaching people into being in this community is that teaching people how to manage, I mean, a big constant theme here at Softweed is, is managing failure, right? Like yeah. I think that a lot of guys, as long as they're winning are appear to be mentally strong, but coaching people through managing defeat is a big thing. I don't, I don't know if you deal with that or if you oh, have I ideas deal with on all it. Time. I do with all time. In fact, the, the Academy kids are the worst because those kids are, they've never failed at anything in their life. You know, they are freaking rock stars. I mean, 4.0 in high school, played three sports, you know, team captain, you know, dated the cheerleaders, right? Yep. You know, whatever. And, you know, they were just animals. And, um, you know, when they don't get selected or they they fail at something compared to their, their classmates, you know, it, it's, it's a big gut check. I, I remember my, you know, <laughs> my experience sucked. You know, I was like, man, I saw valedictorians getting kicked out for academics at the academy. And I was like, what the f is going on? And I'm sitting here like just barely holding slow, on. Slow and steady. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, I'd, I'd never, I don't think I ever made a C in high school. And uh, I was happy to make C's, you know, at the academy. It, it was an ass kicker. A gentleman's C. <laughs> yeah. 2.0 and go. It's yeah. actually a quote. <laughs> and it's on our class rings too. <laughs> 2 and go. Somewhere somewhere in there there's a uh, 2 and go sign. Nice. Excellent. <laughs> Why am I not surprised you have your ring handy? Because <laughs> cuz I do this all the time. I hear I it. Mean, Brian, make sure you save that audio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's well, gonna be my new ringtone. <laughs> knocking. <laughs> of, 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 hey, you guys hear that? That's Stu Smith's Academy ring. Knocking. <laughs> so, man, I'm super glad that you've managed to stay relevant. Like, I, I've always seen you as a really inspirational person in my life, in particular, and it means a lot to see that you're still plugged in in other people's lives for your own sake and for the sake of everybody that's going through it. Um, I'm super glad that we at Softly get to work with you as far as like you having written our buds prep program. Uh, cause it is a vastly different prep, you know, program than SFAS or, uh, MARSOC selection, which are essentially the same. Like <laughs> they're, Right. They are copies of each other. I don't want to hear anything of that. <laughs> Nothing else shall be uttered as Brian <laughs> nods his head. <laughs> Marsoc, the, the most expensive copy paste ever. <laughs> copy well, paste Air Force out. is doing their, their good job doing the same thing. Sounds like uh, Air Force Special Warfare, which they've changed the name from Battlefield Airmen to uh, Air Force Special Warfare now. They're going to make their whole selection program very similar to the way uh, Army does it. Which, I mean, hopefully they don't also try to become experts at foreign internal defense and unconventional warfare. Then, I mean, honestly, I was told very early on that if you were a good Green Beret, you worked yourself out of a job. So congratulations to all high-ranking USASOC staff who are continuing to work themselves out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> the Army's going to have nothing to do pretty soon. So, hey, hey, real quick, I know we're about to wrap it up, but real quick, what are your thoughts on the new Army fitness test coming out? compared to push-up sit-ups in a two-mile run uh, this is not how you wrap up a podcast Stu. <laughs> <laughs> um i firmly believe that uh the army pt test that has existed in as long as as long as my memory has been around um is a poor representation of combat fitness um, absolutely i think that the idea of testing people on a mid-distance run is not just foolish but it also encourages poor training internally like because the one metric that every unit actually uses consistently is the apft the uh, army physical fitness test um they they're all training to be good at mid-distance creepy crawly pace runs no one's good at sprinting no one's good at actually running long distance um i think that the push-up standard is 
is kind of arbitrary from unit to unit and even places that take great pride in grading it strictly like, you know, the Ranger Regiment. Um, like, I don't think that that is effective in measuring upper body muscular endurance, especially in a two minute window. Uh, I think that sit-ups are, have been proven crunches and sit-ups both have been proven to be bad for you and they do not build anti-rotational, like, like core strength. So gauging a high number of sit-ups as a representative of someone having good core strength is also foolish, right? I do think that it is an easy to administer test. That takes very little time to do, and it is a hard metric. I mean, I think that if you can't perform at that PT test, you will not be able to perform at likely any PT test given to you. Like, it's a basic thing, right? I I look at it this way. I I think the push-up, sit-up, two-mile run, or if you're in the Navy, it's a a mile-and-a-half run. That is a health and wellness test. Yep. Nothing more. Agreed. It, It is... You know, I have some ability to, to move my body, you know, from A to B and push myself off the ground a few times. That's it. It, it, it doesn't really measure a whole lot more than that. Um, the new one, I love it personally. I mean, I know logistically it's going to suck and it's going to take all day to do it. Um, but I think you're going to get a lot more out of it because what do most soldiers do? They train for the test. Agreed. Right. And if they're training for deadlifts and medicine ball throws and shuttle runs and carries and crawls and, you know, they still got to do the two mile run, you know, I think I think they're going to be better off for it. I think a lot of high ranking people are going to be utterly embarrassed. Guys that have been like, I I think one of the there was we were talking about this the other day or I guess it was a jokey article, but about running about running. Yeah, it's like running is super popular with the officer corps because you can't like. There's no metric like you run with the men, you run from the front, you need a little break, you go pull road guard duty and look like you're being a good leader, and then you get back in the front. But bench press doesn't lie, deadlifts don't lie. You know, you go into the gym with your men and freaking you're throwing up 135 pound bench presses. Like, there's no way to cover that up. I, I think the and, idea of a physical fitness test as we have known it for the last 20 years is the archaic and antiquated thing that needs to change. I think that the new physical fitness test is focused in a positive direction, but I think that establishing a list, a scale of metrics that you can prove in a video submission to, <laughs> yeah. to an army, like an army accrediting body, like, hey man, you need to submit a video of you doing these things every year and it will be graded and given a check. You get a go or a no go, you know, and then that's on a sliding scale. The idea that you need to have your entire brigade out conducting oh a PT gosh. test and it taking all yeah. day is foolish. Every one of these people will be in the gym on the regular. Everyone has a smartphone. If a deadlift is important, then you say you have to film it from 45 degrees at the front. You have to complete this lift in this way and you have to submit this video to this location. And we'll just grade. We have a group of people, master trainers that are going to evaluate your video. Man, I'm going to buy stock and foam plates. If that <laughs> yeah, that's, actually, that's actually not a bad idea. That's one of the best logistical answers I've heard. I mean, you know, I think that, that, that problem. I mean, that we, have. we do it in the CrossFit games, right? I mean, like I, not to laud yep. CrossFit, but like, I think the CrossFit open has proven that people are vested in catching fakes. Like they are, especially when it's a yeah. digital thing and you're taking pride in it. When dudes get super strong, or fake it, <laughs> people will pay attention. They're like, did you see the break in the video? That guy's been editing his videotapes. You know, like it, all of a sudden you said, these people are cheating with a regular fitness test. Now, I don't care what metrics change from the old APFT to the new army combat, uh, whatever it's called. Um, the reality there is modified enhanced. Yeah, we will. We will finger drill it one way or another as units like <laughs> A unit full of people that don't want to take that test are not going to take that test. You know, I've never been on an I've never been an operational detachment alpha that demanded an APFT. If you looked fit and you performed well in physical activities, then you are going to get a max score on your APFT. Like, right? I, certainly not the team I'm on now. <laughs> <laughs> but in historically speaking, you see, it's I think especially in SF and in that you know, that there are guys that fall through the cracks where it's like 95% of guys on a team are performing above and beyond the requirement. And then there's one dude that just loves donuts, man, you know, 
And I think that that is an analogy for how the army works and that there's always one in 12 guys, service members to be not, to be gender inclusive, um, that likes donuts and they don't like to work out. They don't like to run, but they do well at their job. So people are willing to make exceptions for them and ignore it. And And they usually have some unbelievable skill that is needed in your platoon. Oh yeah. I've definitely had attachments that were like Intel collators that showed up that were a hundred pounds overweight and looked like the comic book guy from the Simpsons, but they were really good at their job. So you just, you had to like look away from them when they were talking. <laughs> well, and, and th- that is, that's like a whole other rabbit hole. Cause like, yeah. the, do the they mili- need to be fit? Well, no, it's like, it's like the reason the military and the department of defense and the agency can't get any good computer hackers is because they drug test. You know, like every single dude out there in the whole world that is good at freaking that stuff smokes pot. It's just the reality of the situation. So you're saying, well, we don't want to be good at this because we demand this arbitrary standard for everybody. And the military does that at times, but the good units are good at making exceptions unofficially. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think think that the new PT test uh, is going to be a big improvement for for us for a variety of reasons if not just to kind of reframe how people think about what's important from um from soldiers in general are you hoping the navy copies them i i don't know if the navy needs to copy them i mean they need to do something that i think is a little more job related uh in their fitness testing but you know there are a lot of jobs in the Navy where people don't move a lot. Does this mean that there'll yeah. be a lung capacity test for bosun's mates? Yeah. A, <laughs> a deck swabbing test? <laughs> Painting test? I don't know. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure how to answer that for the regular Navy. You know, for, for the SF world, I think it's great that everybody's kind of going into this. Um, what's a good word for it? I guess tactical fitness. What the hell? Nice um, way to work it in at know, the end. <laughs> you know, it's it's a little more useful um, skill set because they are getting all of those elements of fitness that your typical PT test lacks. Right? They're getting the strength and the power, the speed, agility, flexibility, mobility. You know, speed. You know, whatever. You know, strength and power. You know, so all of those come into play. You know, in the in these new fitness tests that are coming out there. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm excited for him. Awesome. Well, Hey, Stu, thanks for coming in today. Um, we look to continue rolling the ball down the hill together until there's resistance, at which point we'll split and, you know, yell at each other. Let's, let's grow old <laughs> together. Old well, and grumpy. I feel like this is a, this is a continuation of a beautiful relationship. All right, man. Uh, appreciate it. And so we'll talk to you later. Sounds good.